Welcome in, everybody, to the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Cullen Munns, and we're off and running. Big week in sports this week, Mr. Munns. Uh, some would call it historic, uh, probably one that we'll remember for the rest of our lives, Ian. Very. It seems like uh, every week seems to set that precedent, and, and you think more can't can't happen a, a bigger week can't happen and then the next week you find yourself saying the same exact thing well yeah welcome to 2020 it's like uh, <laughs> we're like apocalyptic kind of stuff going on every week in 2020 it's uh it's pretty pretty crazy i feel bad for the people kind of who are going to ultimately have to write the like chapter in the history book for 2020 it's like there's going to be a lot of shit you're going to have to parse through. A lot yeah, of different angles you could they take. Can't, they can't do it in one chapter, can they? Like, I, I mean, one there, it, there's got to be years in history where the history book was like, hey, you know what? Like 1776. I feel like 1776 is a year they probably were like, hey, we should make this two chapters. I feel like two, two, 2020 is going to fall in that that class of, of years, if you will. We've got at least a couple chapters. Every day we're working our way towards an entire history book like we're, we're talking about all of fourth grade you're just talking about 2020 potentially right and and this is american history too let's not let's not factor in the rest of the world right now yeah we're not quite ready for the uh, world history edition of 2020 yet that's that's a little bit away we're gonna have to ease ourselves into that one uh, there's there's european history teachers just salivating at the mouth <laughs> ready to, ready for 2020 when they can just give me a C in European history. European history was actually the first, the worst I did in high school. I uh, didn't do too hot in European history. You so, had a specific European history class in high school? I did. It wow. was uh, European history with Lee Barrow. He was the JV basketball coach. Uh, great guy. Uh, there you go. You know, missed, missed basketball more than I miss European history. I'll say that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's uh, let's jump right on into the work topics here this week. Uh, the first one is something that we kind of briefly have touched on and danced around the past couple weeks. Um, but as I've thought about it more, there's just there's even more kind of layers to this whole situation of the NFL having fans in the stands. Um, as of today, or I guess maybe yesterday, I saw a tweet that and an article that kind of outlined everything. We, we basically have 21 teams in the NFL so far who have said that to start the season, they will have no fans in the stadium. Now, most of these teams seem to be operating on like a two-week interval timeline. Uh, so I know even like Detroit is saying at least for the first two games, there won't be fans in the stadium. It, that seems to be the rhetoric from most of these teams. Um, to my knowledge, none of the teams have come out and said no teams or excuse me, no fans for the entire year. We have seven teams, including the Dallas Cowboys, who have uh, been relatively quiet and haven't said one way or the other. And four teams, uh, Kansas City, the Indianapolis Colts, Miami Dolphins, and Jacksonville Jaguars, will have fans to some degree to open up the season. This just seems like a, a nightmare waiting to happen. Yes, and I just, which I think you're also the fact that I don't want to bring the Cowboys up at all because I'm not a Cowboys <laughs> guy and they always get the limelight even when they shouldn't like a situation like this. Um, but I, I, again, it just seems like not being on a unified front with all of this. I mean, can you imagine, 
just look at the disaster that has been Major League Baseball, and I'm going to be talking about Major League Baseball uh, a little bit later, but just how bad their bubble has – or their non-bubble, I guess, has been. And they have no fans, and they all agreed that there was no fans. Can you imagine how bad it would be if they – if only some of the teams had fans in their, in their respective bubbles and then they tried this? It would just exacerbate the problem. Yeah, and that's – that's kind of a perfect way to get into one of the layers that I'm kind of want to talk about. And it's this whole risk reward um, scenario of having fans in the stands, because just even from an operational standpoint, if you're hosting fans as, as you and our guy, Matt Hamilton kind of brought to light through the Texas collegiate league in Amarillo, if you're going to host fans at the stands or in the stands, that means you have to have more staff. You have to have concession staff. You have to have parking staff. You have to have ushers. You have to have um, ticket entry people. You got to have security. So the amount of people that are going to be at that stadium aren't just team plus fans. It's team plus fans plus now all the stadium people that have to be there. And to me, it's like you're just increasing the chance that a fan uh, – comes in contact with somebody who comes in contact with somebody who comes in contact with somebody with the team. And those things are going to happen. Like those dots get connected, whether you like it or not. And because we know that they're not going to be testing every fan that walks into the stadium. They, I mean, at least right now they literally don't have the ability to, they're not going to be testing them after games. So it's like, they're never really going to know what's going on. It's like, what, what is the real reward here? And is it worth the potential risk of, I mean, we, I, I would think we could be talking liabilities if one of these places becomes like a super spreader hotspot, right? I mean, I guess I don't really know. Uh, well, I mean, I think it would be hard to identify, you know, one specific mm. place as a, I mean, cause come on. I, I mean, are we really, is our testing, our testing's 40% false positives <laughs> at this point. Are we really, do we have faith enough in our testing to be able to identify exactly where it started and came from? Yeah, I mean, good point. Good point. But but to your second point or to your first point, I, I think, you know, it, we're back to that same old thing we were still talking about back in in May when we were talking about how we're going to get sports fired back up. And it's the money. That's what the reward is. I mean, they're they want you to come in and buy 14 hot dogs on dollar dog night and they want you they want that revenue. And it's like they're looking at it from the perspective of, OK, would I rather have nobody in the fans in the stands not have that revenue or have you know, 20,000 fans in the state, in the stands have a skeleton staff. So my labor cost is still low and I can still make a little bit of revenue. Yes. It's not a full season, but Hey, I'm covering a few bruises that this global pandemic has caused. I'm curious as to how much of a staff that they will have to have, because part of me thinks, well, if they want to spread everybody out across the stadium and then seemingly across using different facilities from concession stands to bathrooms to all these things, do they potentially need the same amount of staff because they're having to cover the same amount of ground and it doesn't necessarily matter about the number of people? What do you think? I, I think in theory, yes, you, you should. Uh, but I, I think that it doesn't work that way. I think that like just because they're going to say, okay, we're only making this much revenue. We got to maintain our same labor percentages. It's all numbers. They're going to look at how much labor they're spending those first few games, look at how much revenues are actually coming in. And they're going to be like, oh, well, we need to crank back labor. Where can we do that? And you're going to start seeing, you know, fewer and fewer staff 
in the stands. And then you're going to start seeing protocols not being enforced as hard as they should be because you have less staff and then you get somebody sick and then off we go. Well, and let's talk about how, I mean, I'm, I'm just envisioning the media shit storm and public backlash as, um, these games are going to be on TV. The broadcast where there are fans are going to show the fans. And if somebody doesn't seem, or if, if a group of people don't seem distanced enough from another group of people, if somebody is on camera and they're not directly slugging a beer or guzzling a hot dog and they don't have their mask on, people, the, gonna the internet's going to lose their fucking mind. You no, don't think so? I, I, no, I don't think they will because the internet hasn't lost their mind over the last four nights when things, when people have just been ignoring protocols at, at events happening around the country and it completely ignoring all of that. And Nobody said anything. Uh, and the people who did say something, they get called names and, and, and it just, and same thing's going to happen in sports. You're going to be, it's going to turn into the, just like we politicized the grilled cheese sandwich last week, uh, <laughs> where it's going to turn into the same thing. You're going to have the people saying that if you do call them out on their protocol, you know, not following protocols and not being safe, you're going to have the other side saying, you're trying to kill football. You're trying to take down the whole season. You're the problem. And welcome to 2020. We have another week of more crap going on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong on that one. Another thing that's curious to me as uh, is is this whole idea of contact tracing and if that will be applied to people who have come into the stadium because hypothetically, based on how things are supposed to work, let's say you go to a game a couple days later, um, you're not feeling well, you go get tested, you test positive, like you said, Really, regardless, it, it's difficult to pinpoint one place or another as to where you may have contracted the disease. And so that's why they have this contact tracing. You tell the Department of Health, oh, well, I was at the uh, Jaguars game, me and me and 6,000 of my favorite friends, you know, a standard Jaguars game. Nothing, nothing really new there, we don't think, from what we've seen out of Jacksonville the past couple of years. But so then is the Florida Department of Health calling up Jacksonville and saying, Hey, uh, hope you got data on every single person and fan and employee and everybody who was at the stadium on Saturday because somebody was there just tested positive. So gonna need you to make those phone calls. And that's what they should do. That's what should happen. Uh, but I'll tell you just from my experience in the in the TCL when I was there in Amarillo, we did we did a, a, you know contact tracing per, uh, per se. But a lot of it was just based on what the person told you they had come in contact with, what they had told the Department of Health they had come in contact with. So we had, you know, if somebody, let's just play the what if game. What if somebody comes, gets positive and just doesn't say they went to the Jacksonville game? So then you, then you have an even bigger issue where we're just floating around and we have no idea, you know? And, and so I would tell you, but to if they did tell them that they were in a Jaguars game, no, I don't think that it's not possible to to be able to contact every single person um, that was that comes through the turnstile at whatever the new stadium. What is it? First T -I Bank Stadium. T I A A Bank Stadium. T I A A Bank. It's like T E D D C E U Stadium <laughs> down for the University. I N D E P E N D E N T. <laughs> what you know about me? Exactly. Um, that should be the name of the stadium. Where is Webby? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and you even think about like, I mean, luckily with most 
places now in sports where like at the professional level to buy a ticket, you're, you're probably doing it online. So you're going to at least have given like an email, but let's say there's a scenario where it's like at the stadium, they're asking people to give additional information in the name of potential contact tracing. You damn well sure know there's going to be people who are like, eh, yeah, no, fuck you. I'm not giving you that data. Yes. And speaking from somebody who just put on events and, and or excuse me, helped put on events, um, where coronavirus is going on and they attempted that yes you definitely have those people those and those people are everywhere it it's they're they're in the country so it, it we can't get it's gonna be hard to get them out at this point it's gonna be i mean I, I both of us obviously hope for the best we love football as much as the next person and want to see it happen and go off without a hitch um, but it's going to be interesting to see nope, if it nope, can be pulled nope. off. I disagree. Now that <laughs> Michigan Michigan football has been postponed, I don't think I love football as much as I did last year. I think my love for football and or Michigan and Oregon are both not playing. So I would tell you my love for football has taken a taken a large slap on the chin uh, in the last month. Yeah, I mean it's going to be tough. Um, really hinging on the lions put putting it together this year it's the only chance of happiness i got left and what in what world do you have a good outcome when you're hinging anything on the lions (laughs) well in my 28 (laughs) my 28 years of life it's been it's been an unfortunate (laughs) sway of the of the of the seesaw so far so So after 28 years you've decided you know what in 2020 we're putting it all on the lines listen uh for those of you who are in the sports betting on FanDuel, which is just now coming live online on the app in in the state of illinois uh the lions over under is seven right now that looks pretty juicy to me to hammer the under Hammering the over, baby. Seven <laughs> games? Are you kidding me? We almost won seven games without Matt Stafford last year with David Blau at the helm. Well, David Blau, that's a that would be a Purdue product, isn't it? Shout yeah, out, shout out, shout out, Big Ten. He boiled uh, up, that's for sure. Uh, but but so you're you're clinging, putting all your eggs in the Matt Stafford's back basket, and I know you're president of the Matt Stafford, Stafford fan club. Um, so you're you've got them over seven wins. Yeah, I'm keep, I'm keeping receipts here. Yeah, I mean months ago, my my fire breather of the week in this same same spot I sit now is that the Lions are going to win the NFC North. And let me tell you, you're now you're starting to see Mina Kimes, other other blue check marks on Twitter talking about how much they love the Lions. It's like, listen, go listen to the Cutback Podcast, circa May. And and listen to your boy. Put that out on the airwaves first. Speaking of when do, when are we gonna have uh, the blue check mark? How you know, how far away are we? I don't are we fucking from that? know. I, mean, I, I just saw thousands somebody on upon thousands of little <laughs> listeners. And I just saw. Oh, I don't even know what goes into it these days because I just saw somebody who I follow. Don't know them personally at all, actually. But I followed them through this like sports business community on Twitter, I suppose. And they've got like three thousand followers, which is significantly more than i have personally and this podcast has but they've got a blue check mark i'm like yo that, that doesn't seem like enough to me so I don't, I don't know if they're just handing those things out if you can buy them from somebody at twitter i don't know maybe we'll look into it we could show yeah, I mean, photoshop one on there we do have one of the best in the business producer kennedy you think she <laughs> could get get us a blue check mark <laughs> she's in the yeah she's a social media wizard so we're really counting on her that we need to add that to her uh, list of responsibilities and other duties as assigned 
I would I would tell you if she yeah and other duties as a sign no kidding uh but as uh I would think you know if she was able to get us a blue check mark that she that's definitely a resume quality feat I would think yeah yeah took took a uh built a brand to a blue check mark that's good to me that's doing something that's doing something (laughs) speaking of brands well, I've I've got one I've got one other thing that that I want to get into about the NFL fans in the stands before we talk about um, how brands have been reacting over the past few weeks and and few months. It it really revolves around competitive advantage, and it's kind of twofold. It's competitive advantage on the field, and also competitive advantage um, on the balance sheet. When you're talking about teams who are going to be allowed to have fans because of their state or local regulations and teams that aren't going to have fans at least for a portion of games because of that so let's start with on the field to me it seems like having any fans in the stands is going to be a significant competitive advantage versus not having any fans in the stands would you agree i I, see i think it it depends on on where exactly you're pinpointing that competitive advantage I think um, on the you got to remember on the on the financial side of things there's revenue sharing so they're going to have to share that revenue across the board uh, with the rest of the league so um, you know do I think I think it other teams are probably cheering for them to put people in the stands in that regard so I don't think it necessarily creates a competitive advantage on the balance sheet necessarily um, you know the thing that I think could create a competitive advantage and that's what we kind of talked about last week in the nba is that home court advantage deal um just i i and i don't know it could swing the other way in because i I think when you play in an empty building it sucks the juice out of it too you know what i'm saying so i think uh this could swing both ways when you have a limited capacity and it just feels dead in the stadium as opposed to to a situation where it's empty, you know, it's empty and, you know, they either artificially pump the juice in there via music or via the fake crowd noise, which we all know our opinions on the fake crowd noise. Um, they, they pump the juice in that way. Yeah. And you, you brought up a good point that I want to start with first, where you talked about how there is revenue sharing. So we've always, we've kind of talked about the revenue sharing and more so at the league level um, with league wide revenues, but that was one of my big questions is like, aren't, isn't an owner who can't have fans going to be pissed off that an owner who can has the ability to make more revenue. And then I learned that, well, basically game day gate revenues are shared where the home team gets something like 60% and then the other 40% goes into a pot that gets spread across the rest of the team. So it does behoove all of the owners, even for any of them to be able to have fans because they are all going to benefit from it financially one way or the other. And and just a quick point on that, just to dive into the weeds on, on this whole revenue sharing deal in the NFL, they divide it based on, they divide this revenue based on your seats too. So like luxury suites are usually completely exempt from revenue sharing. And that's why you see some of the stadiums that are newer. They're uh, looking at you, Jerry Jones, um, that have these just hellacious luxury areas and luxury suite areas, because those areas are usually reserved uh, for the stadium and not included in revenue sharing. Um, so anyway, back to you. No, that's that's a good distinction to make. And it's interesting as we see these new stadiums being built and we kind of talk about, oh, they they want to have less traditional seats and more of these like loge boxes or luxury seats because it's more of an intimate environment. It's the way that people want to watch games. Well, it's also a way for the home team to keep 
more of that revenue. So it's it's double dipping. So I'm glad I'm glad that you brought that up. In terms of the fans being a competitive advantage on the field, you brought up the the piped in crowd noise, and that that's been my biggest question is like, if you have any fans in the stands, are you not allowed to pipe in crowd noise? Um, it seems like the NFL. I saw an article that basically said that they're they are hovering around this like um, a decibel max of how loud it can get into in the stadium. So I'm wondering if that means like okay, if you have no fans in the stands, let's say the decibel max is like a hundred decibels, so you can pipe in music to a hundred decibels. Then if you have fans in the stands, is it the fan noise plus piped in music equals a hundred decibels, or it, it just if can you imagine being in the NFL front office and you're having to fucking decide how loud somebody can artificially make their stadium? Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I and I I've made my stance clear that I'm anti the fake crowd noise to begin with. But I think let, let's just take a step back. Why don't it would be so awesome? I think if you had a broadcast where you could hear what the players are saying on the field. And I know, I know let's take the legality out of, out of it. Cause I don't think the players would necessarily like if you could hear what they were saying on the field. Um, Cause a lot of it's not, it's good, good trash talk. And as a fan of trash talk, I appreciate it. Let's just say that. Um, but I say like, why not put a normal broadcast on ESPN and, and then put the uncensored, you can hear the stuff on the field on ESPN too. As I would, I would be the guy watching ESPN two and would be way more engaged in the game if I could hear what they're saying and hear those things instead of hearing the pumped in, oh, like when I'm in Seattle because the Seahawks are trying to be fake loud. Yeah, I, I, I would almost think that no teams would want that either because you'd have this slight chance of being able to pick up calls and shit like that potentially, but. And, and it does work on ESPN, but how does NBC do that? How does CBS do it? How does Fox do it? Like the main broadcasters of an NFL game, where would they put that secondary screen, stream? Well, NBC, CBS isn't the one to ask because they air golf all the time and they drop <laughs> F-bombs. So you can hear those F-bombs from That's golf true. every A lot of weekend. good hot mic golf moments <laughs> so far. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that would be cool too. It's it's just going to be interesting. And it's been, it's been interesting to see that I think baseball has seemed to kind of back off of the piped in crowd noise because it's not as, um, it's not as endemic to the game. Whereas in basketball, if you go to an NBA game, they're playing music and stuff throughout the entire game, even when there are fans there. So for them to be playing music and playing like pre-recorded chants and shit like that while they're in the bubble, it's not that different than a normal game. So it, it feels fine. It doesn't feel weird. But for the baseball, it felt so weird that they thankfully kind of started the back off of it. I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, the crowd definitely has a bigger impact in, in basketball and football uh, than it does in baseball and in hockey, for that matter. Like in hockey, I don't, I don't think you've – which and I'll say it for – the umpteenth million time the NHL has done an amazing job with how they've done these playoffs. Uh, just can't be, can't express that enough. They've been, and the NBA has too. I'll say that too. The NBA has done great, but you don't, the NHL playoffs are still happening and it doesn't really, you don't really miss that crowd factor and they're not pumping in noise. The only thing they're pumping in is the goal horns, which I'm all about it. More goal horns uh, right. every time. So, yep. um, yep. 
I think it, I think it all works out. I, I think it, it, it's nice that baseball is backing away from it. And I'm going to, I'm interested to see what football does because football is very dependent on crowd noise, especially on the defensive side of things. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like from just anecdotally, like it's a big deal in the stadium, but you don't even necessarily hear that all the time on a broadcast, at least for an NFL game. Colleges, it feels like you can uh, the broadcast picks up the crowd noise a little more. So it's it's just going to be interesting to see how they start off if they adjust. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it either way. Do you? Let me ask you this. I know we're kind of talking about the stands and whatnot. Um, do you do you anticipate uh, the NFL? sticking with this this all 32 teams model or would they kind of try and form division bubbles based on the stand the teams that do allow fans to come in the stands i i think that they're going to keep it as is um i i would assume that the only potential thing that they would look at which is what we've seen major league baseball reportedly come out with uh even really in the past day or so would be like a playoff bubble but I think the NFL is going to just try and go full bore and say teams are traveling around and the places that can have have fans are going to have them. The places that can't aren't. And we're going to keep it fucking moving. United. Love it. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's how it's going to be. So let's get into um, your kind of your topic of the week. And it's it's really about brands and how they've been how they've been reacting. So do you want to set the stage for us here? I do, I do, and and so I kind of uh, I'm I'm looking over this in and I I just think it's best if we kind of, you know, obviously mention what happened in the NBA and then kind of segue in and then we'll kind of circle back and talk about the NBA and whatnot. Perfect. Uh, for those who haven't heard, I don't know if you've been in Iraq under a rock or you know just don't watch sports and you just listen to us and we're your only connection to sports. You know, you're one of the math the thousands of listeners we have. <laughs> we're flattered. Um, yes. We're honored that you listen to us banter about sports and, and work. But um, the Milwaukee Bucks, there was a shooting. Uh, Jacob Blake was was shot in Kenosha, Wisconsin um, this week, this past week. And the Milwaukee Bucks and the rest of the NBA um, ultimately led a very big social issue. And the Bucks didn't come out to the floor um, for their playoff game. Um, and ultimately, the games ended up being postponed. Uh, on Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. So three straight days of, of postponements. Um, the players, you know, made a – that they were – it was a message, sending a message about the social issues, social injustice that's going on. Um, and and you, you just saw it – was, it was amazing to see. It was a, it was a historical night um, in sports. I don't care what side of the issue you fall on, you – have to admit it's never happened before um much less happened during the playoffs much less happened during a global pandemic much less happened while all the teams are in a bubble in orlando all of that um so it's just it's absolutely a historical moment in sports um but i I really just wanted to talk about kind of the aftermath of all of it um because it, it obviously the the momentum of the movement was very high and, and I, you it's pretty much it's a train and it's going and you're either on board or you're not uh and at this point if you're staying silent you're part of the issue that kind of message is coming across and so you saw a lot of brands uh you know the ones that came to mind were nike 
uh, a lot of teams, uh, team brands came out and, and made statements about their support of what was going on uh, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I just, I, I'm really starting to look further and further into how these brands are navigating this social, for lack of a better term, minefield, because it, it, we are so polarized as a country. And I, and I don't think anybody listening to us can can deny that. Uh, if you do deny that, uh, then we got we got bigger problems to worry about than than you watching NBA basketball. But um, it's very polarized right now, and I just it's I'm kind of note finding it interesting how brands are kind of trying to navigate the, these these this world that we live in, where fifty percent of the country, forty five percent of the country is against one thing, forty five is for it, and then there's ten percent who don't really know either way or are indifferent. Um, so kind of how do you, as somebody who works, uh, you know, predominantly in branding and sponsorship and valuation of that stuff, uh, how, how do you see that being impacted now? How do they navigate that landfield? And then where does they go in the future? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's certainly something that brands and agencies that represent brands um, and obviously teams are asking themselves all the time. I think it's kind of twofold. Um, or, or there's two veins to it. You have your consumers and you have your employees, essentially. And the need to act is going to be driven by one of those two parties. Um, so in some industries or, or in some, I guess, yeah, industries is their correct word. But in some like brands cases like a Nike, because Nike is so ingrained in sports, and sports are leading the conversation. Um, Nike's consumers are going to be more likely to require Nike to have a stance one way or the other. They're going to notice if Nike doesn't say anything uh, as the NBA walks off the court, as NFL teams are walking out of practices, as Major League Baseball teams are um, walking off of the diamond as the WNBA is making a very powerful United movement, right? Like people are going to expect the Nikes, the Adidas the Under Armors of the world to support that message because they deal with those athletes every day. Um, and their consumers are people who are very tied into this. Now, other places, um, I'll use Amazon as an example, just because they're not necessarily super tied into sports, even though I guess they did just get the naming rights for the um, Seattle NHL. Well, yeah, Seattle I was going to say, but, pretty but, tied in. <laughs> everybody buys fucking stuff from Amazon. So as a whole, I would say Amazon's consumers aren't necessarily like looking for Amazon to make a statement. Um, they're not getting pissed if Amazon doesn't, but Amazon's employees could say hey we need to we need to make a statement one way or the but, other but let me ask you this let me ask you this just, just to that jump in i'm sorry but no go ahead i i, I well, you say you say everyone buys from amazon but i would make the argument from this social issue that's gone on now what, what you're seeing now this movement and, and it's nothing short of a movement has caught more traction than colin kaepernick did four years ago um and, and so I, my argument is it's becoming more apparent to more people. So at what point do the Amazon, like the Colin Kaepernick deal, when it was just Colin Kaepernick, I understand that that point makes sense for Amazon because it was a smaller group of people that were 
you know, on on tra- on board with the train at that point. And now I, I would argue that the movement's a lot larger. At what point is the breaking point to where Amazon needs to say, all right, we're either with it or, you know, obviously don't say we're not with it because that's probably not the way to go. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. At what point does somebody have to no longer be like a silent observer? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because as, as people who um, are kind of passionate about it and, and believe it's just right to support the message and do so in a way that's, that's authentic. It doesn't seem like it should even be a discussion, right? Like it shouldn't even be a discussion in X company's boardroom about this needs to happen. But we also have to understand that that's not the way that these boardrooms operate. And it's not the way that CMOs make decisions. It's not the way CEOs make decisions. So if you've got an, a company who their executive team maybe doesn't necessarily believe in the message or they don't want to, they don't want to get into politics, you know, the, the people who are kind of falling into that line, if they're not seeing their pockets being affected by being silent, they're going to continue to be silent. So that's when it comes up to our consumers boycotting, essentially, or our employees walking out. And the consumers are going to be the ones that have the the greatest power because especially now as unemployment is through the roof and there's a lot of people who would take any job that they can get. If you get a bunch of employees who walk out, you're going to be like, cool, we got, we got. 10 p you know we got endless amount of people who will take this job so it's not actually going to really affect your bottom line but yeah i really think it's for a lot of these companies it's going to be like well is this affecting our bottom line or can we can we profit off of saying something whether we believe it or not can we make money off of jumping on the train and once they see one of those two things then they're going to do it for one reason or the other yeah and i I think you brought up a a very good point that and as two of the two of us, especially as we get on here for now 17 weeks in a row and bang the drum as to how, uh, you know, sports is a different industry in and of itself. It's a whole different animal than everything else, which I still think is true. I think it would be, um, I don't know, uh, hypocritical of us if we didn't accept that these other industries are very different from what we're used to, too. And so it, it, and I think you you very much hit the nail on the head with that in that one follow the money in some shape or form uh whether it be through your employees or through your consumers uh that's usually what drives stuff well it's just interesting to see too like the the brands that are able to do so in a manner that's authentic and actually has an impact um versus the brands who just kind of do it to do it to check the box for somebody because you know you have consumers who don't really care either so if somebody does something that just checks the box. They're like, Oh, cool. Well that checks the box. Now I don't have to feel bad about buying from X, Y, and Z. Right. But, um, I think for a lot of consumers and the way that you look at marketing and, and branding, I think about what the Baltimore Ravens did this week and and it's a team example. So it'll be interesting to see if some brands can find ways to replicate this, but the Ravens came out with a statement of support, obviously, and and highlighting racial injustices. But then within the statement, they also laid out very specific um, and tangible calls to action of what they are going to do as a team um, to help combat these things from like voter registration and um, 
making facilities available and contacting um, like police chiefs and different like district attorneys and people who are kind of in positions that uh, these conversations can be fruitful to help combat some of the issues that we have. So I'll be curious to see if brands hop on that as well. Like, will brands find a way to take their message from just being something that's emotional um, and supportive to something that can also be actionable and tangible? Yep. So it's going to be interesting. Maybe I think it's a, I think it's a very um, interesting place where brands and teams could have conversations on how to partner through some of those initiatives um, and find some, some uh, synergies. I hate that I even just thought of saying synergies I, as it was popping up in my That's head. I was such like, an I, MBA word. <laughs> I can't such believe I'm about MBA. to say synergies, <laughs> but I had to say it anyways. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's more and more. I think we're requiring and, and hoping that brands and teams and even individuals with, with influence talk about actions and talk about um, ways to empower and things that are tangible versus just, hitting that emotional cord. And there's a lot of room for that to be um, kind of pioneered because it, it hasn't been something that brands and teams have necessarily played in before. So it's going to be interesting to see, but I think that's the, the uh, that's the next like logical progression of how this continues. So, so I think the biggest difference though, is in like years past, when you look back, um, uh, it was the players who really were in charge of driving these movements and, and, you know, when you look at Colin Kaepernick and, and the money that he had to donate to, to all these initiatives and all these causes uh, to really drive change. And then and LeBron James and, and I, I'll come out. I was a card carrying LeBron hater. Um, but I, I think me and LeBron both have matured since the, de- the decision when he was taking his talents to South Beach. And and I think LeBron James is an amazing human being and what he's done for for the community and everything and driving initiatives all the way through. But my point is it was all the way, it was, has always been on the players. And I, and I guess my question is now you're starting to see that kind of transition because this has caught so much traction um, finally that brands are jumping on board and brands are, can be the ones that are driving the change. And, and once you start getting that money behind it is when we actually start seeing societal change. Yeah, it's almost like um, the players had to walk so that the rest of the industry could run in a little bit. And I think the players are still going to be the loudest and potentially even the most impactful voices, which which we've seen. They're continuing to be the leader as, as they've um, kind of boycotted or striked from games. Um, but hopefully it just it, it gives precedent for brands to know that, okay, we can do this and it'll be received well and and we have this power so let's talk about how players are continuing to kind of lead um the conversation you know we've 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 kind of mentioned it a little bit but kind of started with the lions um i think on tuesday walking out of practice um and using their practice time to address the media and have players speak about um what's happening and what happened specifically in wisconsin and how that's a kind of continuation of the George Floyd conversation, which is a continuation of a um, basically entire history of the United States conversation, NBA um, striked from games, I think is technically the right way to say it versus a boycott that they basically went on strike for a couple days. I'm calling it a pause. 
pause or a bereavement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. So it, it's just, um, like you said, it's historic, never before really been done, um, at this level. Right. And, and I guess my whole deal is I, I don't, yeah, we, I, I mean, I, we, again, we keep referencing past episodes in this episode. So go back and listen to the other ones, but we're not a shut up and dribble podcast. I don't think we will ever ascribe to the, to the shut up and dribble mentality. And I think that you're seeing why you don't just subscribe to the shut up and dribble mentality because you're, you're, we've forced these players to lead change and they have, and, and I, I'll even go so far to say they, they let it in the past with, with people like Muhammad Ali and everything. Uh, and, and we still look back and don't really recognize what Colin Kaepernick did for this movement that's happening right now. I mean, even that, and I know that's four years ago, their history will, you know, tell what happens with all of this. But um, I just think it's, it's, you can kind of start to see the light at the end of the tunnel where brands are jumping on board and money is, it's not all on the players anymore to, to drive these changes for good. Yeah. And it was a, a incredible dose of poetic justice that, the NBA won on a multi-day pause as well as the WNBA and, and Major League Baseball four years to the day that Kaepernick first took a knee. Um, so just just a little dose of poetic justice there. Um, Shakespeare couldn't write that. Shakespeare couldn't write it. Some people would say Shakespeare didn't write it because he had a ghostwriter, but hey, that's a Ooh, different conversation. Wow, that's different Tin day. Hat Ian there for you. <laughs> tin Hat Ian. Tupac's alive, too. Yeah, yeah Tupac uh, Shakespeare is his actual name. Um, let's get into our dedicated <laughs> segments of the week here quickly. You've got quite the crackback of the week. Quite the which, crackback. I've got two. I've got two crackbacks. And, and so which one would you like me to go with? Oh, I, I want to know about this inflatable unicorn out in the okay. middle of the sea. All right. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much the crackback. There was a three-year-old girl um, rescued off the co- a little under a mile off the coast of Greece. Uh, she was floating on an inflatable unicorn. Yes, you heard me correct. An inflatable unicorn. Like you're back in Grammy's pool at the, your grandparents' <laughs> house on a unicorn. Yes, she's in the ocean, the middle of the ocean at three years old by herself on that, on an inflatable unicorn. I, I can't even imagine. I, I would be I would be terrified at 27 years old. I would be terrified if I was out <laughs> in the middle of the ocean on an inflatable unicorn. Like, I'd be done. And if if this if this girl would have been like maybe 16 up, I would have said it was an Instagram photo shoot gone wrong because these inflatable inflatables have have made a huge comeback on the gram that's quite the flex but three years old i mean what are, what are we doing here what, I'm what's not, going on I'm not instagram mess up because the parents were the ones who put her off the let her off the boat they probably turned around and were trying to take a picture for the gram and turned around and uh, Susie's floated off on her unicorn and we can't don't know what she did think you think she was trying to represent brexit Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know, but I just thought of it. Thought of it. I, I, I already told you in this episode. I didn't do great in European history. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't even know. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, let me get into uh, my fire breather of the week here. Um, man, it's just something I've really struggled with over the past few weeks. Um, it really kind of started with with my guy Matt Stafford, where he had a series of false positives. Um, throughout the NFL's testing procedures. 
Um, and the narrative very quickly became, oh yeah, see all of these, all of these positives that are coming back are actually false positive. There's nothing to worry about. Everybody was taking this as like a fully positive, all, all steam ahead, full steam ahead situation. And me, I suppose being a little pessimistic, couldn't help but sit back and be like, shouldn't this be ringing some alarms that these tests are completely fucked? Like, shouldn't we be worried that these tests are having this issue? I mean, shit, even th just this week, was it the NFL where like multiple teams, an entire batch of tests had to be rerun because it, it brought back like a hundred or so false positives. It's like, so can we rely on the negatives are there false negatives like i don't know how that message so quickly turned into oh yeah full steam ahead it's all good well yeah it's it's somehow we've created oh i'm not positive it's false positive and that's how we're turning it into a positive thing is because hey you don't have the deadly pandemic disease. which is good that is good no doubt that yeah I, I mean that's how that that's the spin they're putting on it instead of uh i don't know attacking the root of this thing in which uh we have a global pandemic going on and we're, I don't know what we're doing anyway. You know, we're not a political podcast, not a political podcast. Yeah. So we'll, we'll just leave that one at that. And uh, let's get into our fantasy five, which hopefully will, will ultimately be um, joyous, but it does have a little bit of a uh, theme that is sad because uh, yesterday on Friday evening, Chadwick Boseman um, of black Panther Jackie Rob played Jackie Robinson, played Thurgood Marshall, um, unfortunately passed away after a bout with colon cancer. But because of that, we're going to talk about Marvel movies today. I would like to say, I would like to say, um, first and foremost, uh, that I support this topic wholly. Uh, however, I do identify more as a DC guy than a Marvel mm -hmm. guy. So Ian, I, I, I know Ian, I lived with Ian for, um, uh, an extended period of my life. And, uh, I know Ian has an extensive background in Marvel movies. <laughs> well, so. it's, it's a little bit, there's a little bit of an asterisk there. I had only seen a few of the Marvel movies, um, as they came out, but then I was in a situation where I was going to go see Endgame with somebody and they asked that I get caught up on 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 the twenty some Marvel movies that <laughs> led up to Endgame, so that I knew what was going on. So I did go on quite the run there, where I did watch every single one in the order that they were supposed to be watched. Um, but a and lot that of them lady, was my that first lady time. Is a call out to the power that you have. That is that is what that is. The and also of... the loyalty that I have, and and yes. the dedication to it. In, helping you enjoy your hobbies did it work out for me no nope, not this time but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, yeah no it didn't work out at all but you know what you got those movies watched and 10 out of so 10 you're, probably, do again. <laughs> you're probably gonna just run all over me in this fantasy five so maybe you could just chalk that up as a win uh you know for future ian in the fantasy five that's true and as i'm saying this i realized that I don't know who the winner of our fantasy. Oh, I can see you, you, you mopped me. Uh, and I, and I'm telling you, uh, the, the reason for this folks is he got laptop and I was clamoring everything together, trying to beat laptop. And you obviously a bunch of non-workout, non-safe <laughs> sex practice, practicing people are the ones who voted for Ian. Uh, Everybody was like, listen, don't need a condom where I'm going, baby. Yeah, exactly. Bunch of um, non-safe people. That's all you are. All of you are 
going to catch the clap. So, so this means I get to go first, right? Well, or yeah, but we need, we should probably explain what the Fantasy Five is for any new listeners because, you know, we are pulling them in by the droves each week. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's very true. So, so uh, for those who don't know, the Fantasy Five is uh, each week, Ian and I pick a team of five uh, five items uh, that fit a particular topic. Um, we already kind of unzipped our fly. This is the Marvel movies topic uh, is this week. Um, and we pit those two teams of five against each other on social media for all of Ian's friends to vote against me and <laughs> put put him, uh, his closest friends and family, carry him to victory for like four weeks in a row now. Um, so we also used a snake system based on who won the previous week, which Ian did because he got laptop and y'all all are anti-Trojan. And so he gets his choice of the first overall pick or whether he would like number two or three. I'm going to uh, maybe in a little bit of a shocker, I'm going to go ahead and take the the two, three turn this week. Uh, see, and I, that would have been what I would have done too. Uh, so I think you, you got again, take the, the power play, but <sighs> All right, with number one overall, you know, I, I it's this is tough. This is really tough. Um, but in honor of, of Chadwick Boseman, uh, I'm I'm gonna do it. Uh, I, and, it and, and, and it's really not just in honor of him, but it is at the top of my big board. Um, and, and I just it's a damn good movie. Um, so Black Panther, welcome aboard. First overall. Yeah, no, no arguments there. I I would say Black Panther from any anybody that I've talked to that's much more of a Marvel fan than either of us are, are is is seemingly a consensus, at least top three, top five at the very worst. So I don't think we're 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 rocking the boat here to start. Uh, out. No, no. Uh, there, there. I just think this one, this topic in and of itself, it's got about three or four that are at, at in one tier and then we hit that cliff. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I did see black Panther in theaters, um, at when it originally came out, thought it was dope. I, I think I still think it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you should absolutely watch it. It is really good. Yeah. There's a good chance that after this, uh, I hit up the old Disney plus and run through all of these in the next couple of weeks, which will be fun. So I'm at the two, three turn here. Yeah, I guess I'll I guess I'll kind of stick to my list as it lies right now. I'm gonna take uh the first Avengers. Ooh. First time okay. we see all the characters come together, uh get dropped into New York City fighting some aliens. And then I'm gonna take Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. On my big board, but that one that one both on my big board. I really have no no qualms with either one of those picks. However, you left me my number two and number three on my big Ooh. board which I think uh, was a mistake. Uh, so my picks, um, I'm going to take the one and only Iron Man, the first Iron Man. Um, I think that movie is hilarious and good. Uh, so just the comedic value that it provides will probably uh, give you some insight into my next pick. Uh, I'm taking Deadpool at uh, three. Uh, I think Deadpool is absolutely hilarious. Um, don't watch it with your mom. Not, not, not. not necessarily that a movie you want to watch uh, if you've got sensitive ears. Uh, but I guess I don't have those sensitive ears, and I can attribute that to the sports world. So, um, Deadpool, welcome aboard. Yeah, Iron Man. I think definitely was the first movie that like introduced me to Marvel at all. Really, 
that I can think of. And Robert Downey Jr. in that movie is just A+. plus. Yeah, he's, so. he's solid in, in the entire series. Um, okay, so I've got my third and fourth pick here. I'm going to go ahead and take Thor Ragnarok. Now, when did you watch Thor Ragnarok? Because I think this is important to, to know. I watched Thor Ragnarok in the request to catch up on the movies. So okay, I never... so it was in your it was during your your yeah. um, movie of Palooza that you did. For, yes, it was during my lady. Marvel marathon. Gotcha. Um, I had never seen any of the Thor movies. Um, I liked Ragnarok the best, and it's been one that I have since rewatched. I believe two or three different times. So that's why See, it stuck out to me. Here's my beef with Ragnarok. It's a good movie. I'm not denying that. But if you don't know anything about Thor, if you just jumped in, I feel like you would have no idea what's going on if you just jumped in and watched Ragnarok. Yeah, I I think that that's very fair. It's definitely one that you have to have watched. Definitely the first Thor. I don't know if you've had to watch Dark World. I I, I didn't. I didn't see either one. Didn't see the first Thor or 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 the second one, which I didn't even know was called Dark World until you said it. But I jumped in and watched Ragnarok. Um, mistake that was a mistake because i had <laughs> no idea what was going on yeah and that and then it just becomes oh there's some good like comedic factors here there's obviously like some good acting but the storyline you're just probably completely fucking lost yeah that that's pretty much how it went down but anyway continue your thor ragnarok sale so then uh well yeah i just think i think it's good i think if within the uh the combines of the entire or the confines i should say of the entire um uh marvel universe i think it's it's up there and then with my next pick i'm going to take avengers infinity war Ooh. okay see all right here's my thing with avengers uh i i i genuine genuinely i've seen the first two but there's so many of them i they all blur on me like they they blur pretty they like i i get them like you could show me a scene from the first one, uh, maybe not the first one. The second one, or, or Infinity War, or Endgame, or any of them, and I can't tell which movie I'm watching. Yeah, I, I could, I could maybe see that. The reason that I like the Avengers um, movies more so than than most of the kind of individual character storyline ones is sometimes it feels like they're having to do a lot to make an entire movie out of one character. Um, and because of all of the fucking powerhouse actors and actresses they have to play all these different characters, when you get them all brought together for these Avengers movies, it's going to be hot fire regardless. Yeah. And, and you put ScarJo in anything. I'm a fan. I so. was just going to say <laughs> all of the movies on my list, the majority of them have Scarlett Johansson, AKA the black widow in them. And that's not by uh, mistake, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm not afraid <laughs> to admit it. Uh, yeah. Th- that lady. Whew. Anyway, uh, moving on. I, see, all right, I'm now I'm now to the point on my big board where, and I don't think I've ever had this instant this happen to me in Fantasy Five history. I know what my fifth pick is, but my fourth pick I'm torn um, because I, I I'm a believer that I shouldn't take two from the same French same series. Like, I, I, so I'm not gonna do it. So I have two Spider Man movies here. Oh, okay. and I'm not sure which one I'm pulling yet. Um, gosh. So, all right, here we go. 
Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, I'm taking Spider-Man Homecoming um, with the fourth pick. I just think it's a good it's a good movie. It's a good Spider-Man movie. I the I'm competing against Spider-Man too because I think Doc when Doc, Doc Ock was awesome there, and I think and I know this is a hot take, and I know this is what would probably lose me the Fantasy Five. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Homecoming for because I know this hot take would make me lose. Um, I think Tobey Maguire was better than the Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Man. I think, but I think he Tobey Maguire finishes second to the current Spider-Man. Uh, so I'm taking Spider-Man: Homecoming with the fourth pick. Uh, and then last, um, this I, I had to ask a clarifying question uh, to see if this would count. Uh, but it is one of my favorite movies uh, to see. It is an awesome movie. And it falls in the Marvel universe, or falls in the Marvel movie collection, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Big Hero Six, I'm taking uh, with the fifth pick. Uh, Welcome aboard, great movie, family friendly, hilarious, pulls on your heartstrings. Gotta have it. Big Hero Six. Big Hero Six. Honestly, say I've never even heard of that movie. And that's a flaw of your own. That's really what I'm. <laughs> that's truly really what I'm saying. Uh, you you messed up by not seeing it. You should go watch it. Period. I will take that into consideration. Uh, so I'm going to round out my team here with a movie that's on the list because of one of the reasons we literally just talked about, and that is Captain America: Civil War. That, that's a good pick. That was that was next on my big board, but it's just not as good of a movie as Big Hero Six. Fair enough. I think I, I, uh, Captain America movies are generally pretty good. Um, and Civil War might as well be an Avengers movie. It's, it's almost criminal that they called it a Captain America movie and not just an Avengers movie. Um, but everybody, everybody comes to play in that one and I enjoyed watching it. So let's, uh, let's run them back here. I'll list mine and then let you list yours. I've got the original Avengers, Guardian of the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One, Thor Ragnarok. The Avengers Infinity War and Captain America Civil War. Compared to uh, the superior list, I would think, of uh, Black Panther, Iron Man, Deadpool, um, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Big Hero 6. Um, and I this, this week, folks, might be the first week that I am – I admit last week's defeat, Ian got the better item – uh, with laptop and, and he carried him to victory and I won't deny that this week Ian's got an upper hand because he's a Marvel guy and as he's told you um, that he went on the movie marathon and has seen a lot more of these than I have so uh, but come out to the polls vote we don't need just Ian's friends and family come on come support come support I'm trying I'm trying to end the skid here I think the good five. one about this is that I think everybody has their own like individual, very strong feelings about all these movies. So we don't know how this is going to shake out. I could see it is, going either way. Is Robert Downey Jr. going to vote in the poll this week? Oh, well, we might have to tag him in the, in the, uh, in this, in the IG story. Looking at you, producer Kennedy, make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into our sign our shout outs. I'll let you go first this week because uh, I'm actually still trying to formulate one. Uh, well, you, you kind of stole my thunder earlier in the episode, but my sign-or shout-out is um, indeed Chadwick Boseman passed away. Uh, so, uh, sad moment. Just a lot. 2020 has just been heavy. It's been a heavy, heavy uh, year. Um, I would like to say sign-or to 2020, but we got like half of it left to go. So, uh, there we go. 
Yep. I like it. Um, and man, just because I've always gotten heavy these past couple weeks at the Sayonara shout out, I'm going to try and maybe send us off on a little bit of a lighter note. We are nearly through the first round of the NBA playoffs in the bubble. Um, a lot of good basketball out. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here outside of the Rockets. Um, because obviously that's your squad. Has there been a team that has really impressed you in the bubble? Yes. And, and it absolutely pains me, pains me to say this, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, um, and, and, and really the, the Utah jazz as well. Um, two of the, and that's the loathsome hated Utah jazz for the Colton Shangs of the world. Um, <laughs> But those two teams, and, and and for every anybody who wants to come meet me in Temecula over this, the West is still significantly better than the East. It's not. It's really not even close. And it, it's. I thought this year was going to be the year we would start to see a kind of an evening out of of everything, but it's still uh, not that way. And the West is just still stupid deep compared to the East. And I think the Mavericks and Jazz both. Uh, have been pretty impressive. Well, and it it honestly shows when you look at the playoff series. Um, in the Eastern Conference, the lower seed, well, outside of the the Heat swept the Pacers as the lower seed, uh, but there was only one series that wasn't a sweep. It was the Magic Bucks that literally just wrapped up as we were filming this, and the Magic won Game One. So much less competitive at in the first round. Now we'd like to think that the um, conference semifinals and conference finals matchups will be a little uh, more competitive, but I agree. With uh, and you. I, I, should, I should back up. I need to mention the Heat. The Heat have been impressive too. I, <laughs> I, I, I should include them. Sorry. I was literally just going to say that I had three teams that stuck out to me. It was the Mavericks because um, one, Luka Doncic. I mean, even sorry, Pat, in advance, but that shot against the Clippers was just. I mean, it's poetic. It's fucking beautiful to watch as just a basketball fan. Um, and to see Tim Hardaway Jr. and Trey Burke both actually be balling out, really, like helping them win games, has just, has just been cool as a Michigan guy. The Jazz have been putting it on the Nuggets. I think a lot of people saw the Nuggets as a dark horse to like come out of the West potentially. Yeah, and then the Miami Heat. I mean, they they swept them up, and Duncan Robinson letting it rain. My grandma, big fan. When's Duncan play again? When's Duncan playing again? I'm answering that question every day. <laughs> there we go. Who would have thought we would have shouted out some Purdue quarterbacks and Duncan Robinson in one episode? Where do you, where else do you find that in the marketplace? Only here at the Cutback, ladies and gentlemen. And you can find us on Twitter, on and on Instagram. Actually, at the Cutback Pod, you can listen to us every Monday on Spotify and follow us at the Cutback, or you can go to our website, Anchor.fm forward slash the Cutback. That was a professional segue right there. <laughs> that was that was professionally done. We're getting better every week here, 17 weeks running. This has been yet another episode of the Cutback Podcast. Until next time, keep your head on a swivel and try not to get laid the fuck out.